Hello and welcome to the Mental Health Gaming Podcast. We are now at episode number 24, um, I think it is anyway. Um, and again, I'm joined by Stu. How are we doing this week, Stu? Not too bad, thank you. Good. Um, we've got a lot to talk about this week, mm. uh, which we'll get into. So we'll skip a lot of the jovial introductions and we'll go through a few games to start with. So we'll go as usual. What have you been playing? So still a load of Gears Tactics, which is still really good fun. And it's a pretty big game, actually. I'm up to, was it Mission, like Stage 3, Mission 3 or something, which means I've played about 22 levels so far, and I think I'm only like just over halfway through. So, yeah, plenty of value, if nothing else. And last night, because I wanted to like come onto the podcast with having played something new for once. So last night I stuck on... Operation Warcade, which is a... It sounds like it's a walking aid, but it's not. It's an Operation Wolf slash Thunderbolt uh, style game. So for the people who aren't ancient like me, Operation Wolf was an arcade shooter uh, on rails. It scrolled from side to side and you shot soldiers as they appeared. And it was almost like a light gun game, but because... You had there was like this Uzi bolted to the cabinet that was basically a joystick, uh, and it worked really well. It was good fun. Uh, it's not very politically correct, especially in these times looking back. And Operation Warcade's a VR version of it, so it's pretty much the exact same setup. There are two like virtual arcade cabinets that you can go up to in VR, and one of them is an uh, in immersive, I think they call it one, and one is a standard 3D one. And basically, it's the same sort of game, but with slightly tarted up graphics. I say slightly because, you know, it's an indie kind of release, so it's not amazing looking. But, you know, graphics do the job. And you have to gun down hundreds of people. It's But it's much more silly and arcadey than than the original. And what's good about it, what's unique about it, is you're kind of like standing at this arcade cabinet and it's like looking into a diorama of living tiny people which is a bit weird but if you shoot certain icons you go into like first person mode in the game and do these short little tasks and they're just so ridiculously over the top it's like driving a great big fuel truck whilst shooting you know one-handed with an uzi and blowing up huge towers it's just like rambo but yeah it's, it's kind of nuts and you get like weird power-ups that like freeze people or a gravity gun that sucks them in and it's just completely daft and silly and it cost about like three quid in the steam sale so yeah that was really good fun played that for about an hour last night and i probably saw like 90 percent of it but yeah three quid can't moan also yeah i don't mind that when you get a game that's the cost of a, a pint or something like that and you get an hour of an evening's entertainment out of it that's perfectly fine it's okay for watching a movie that costs 15 quid to rent or something like that so it's okay for a game that's a couple of pounds that you get an evening's entertainment out of it so it's good i might try that one i look forward to trying that one well i think it's vr only but have a look and just check if it's uh if it's got a 2d mode if not it's pc so someone's going to have hacked it true uh so yeah i i've not actually been playing all that much i've been bouncing between tetris and borderlands mainly but i've have played a game for review i've been playing neon abyss 
from Vivo Studios. It's their debut title and Team 17. And when I first saw it, my original assumption was going to be that it was style over substance. There was just something about looking at it. I thought, oh, this is this is not going to be great to play. It hasn't had much marketing behind it, and I'll give it a go. And what I've ended up playing is probably the best action roguelite I've played since Binding of Isaac, which I don't say that lightly. It is really, really good to play and you can see there's a definite influence from the from um, Ed McMillan's game where you can really stack up your abilities as you play through various rooms and each room is individual like you get in Isaac and you're making your way through levels to get to a boss a mid boss eventually to get into the the end boss um, where it differs from Isaac is that it's a bit more traditional in terms of, look, here's, here's a bunch of levels, you've defeated this boss, now you've unlocked another bigger boss with more levels to go through and stuff like that. Um, doesn't quite have the um, the many layers that Isaac has, shall we say. But overall, yeah, some of the synergies you can create with weapons and abilities are just fantastic. Every run I've had has felt different. Even the underpowered ones I've had haven't felt frustrating. And what Neon Abyss does really well is it just rewards you for every time you play. Every single playthrough you have, you get rewarded in, in the game in some fashion. So you've obviously got your unlocks you get as you play through. Um, but you've also got a series of permanent unlocks that you can get. You need to earn certain crystals um, to unlock them. And what these unlocks do is they actually change the game itself. So they add, like the first one you unlock, for example, it just unlocks the ability to find secret rooms. Because the first actual playthrough you have, there's no secret rooms. So you, you add those into it and then you can add in, like there's a piano room that it can add in. Um, it can add in different ways enemies attack and all kinds of things like that and other various changes to the levels. And it's just really, really interesting way of doing it. But what it also has is a difficulty selection that does not punish you for how you decide to play it. Um, I played it on hard and I struggled too much with it. Played it on medium and I wasn't quite enjoying it as much as I can because I was like, I'm getting on. My reactions aren't there. I don't have the absolute time to master a game. So I stuck it on easy. And, yeah, from what I could tell, the game wasn't punishing me at all. Um, so uh, the comparisons with Isaac are literally just in the, the way it's laid out. It's a, a full-on 2D game, like front-on. It's not like a top-down like Isaac or anything like that. It's more like Dead Cells in its presentation. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a really good balance. And it's one of those, it, it all goes well. It should start to really fit into that category with, with Isaac and the likes because it deserves to be that. It's a really damn good game. Yeah, I think that, like I say in my West of Dead review, um, the problem with that one is that there's not enough variety and change in between the, the, the missions. So, like you said, with, with that Neon Abyss, the good thing is that there's adaptation and change and a feeling of progression, you know, and difference and variety. Mm. And I think, you know, that that's one of the big problems with a lot of roguelites is or roguelikes is that 
Yeah, they they don't they don't change. There's no there's not enough variety. You've got to do something with it because otherwise you're just jumping on a bandwagon rather than making a straightforward action game that lasts you know five hours or ten hours, and you have you know pickups and various bosses, mid bosses, end bosses, and just a traditional arcade game. And there's a reason yeah. why they're so good. There's a reason why they still exist. Is because they're great. And you have to. I think you have to make a really good case for why your game should be a roguelike, to be honest. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's free on Game Pass um, yeah. for Xbox and PC. You can get it on Switch. I, I assume it's on PS4 as well. Um, I played it on the Switch, and, yeah, but, yeah, there's, there's plenty of ways to get it and do yourselves a favour and just get it because it's, it's, it's up there for me. So, yeah, that's it, Games Chat, really, because, obviously, I will suggest there's probably one type of game we've none of us have been playing or probably won't play in the near future and that is the ubisoft games um because the news coming out of those studios and a company as a whole has been nothing short of horrific um and it needs addressing because there's a couple of different ways we, we need to look at it um, there's obviously the actual abuse that's been going on and what's behind that and the effects that has on the people who are working there. But also there's this discussion you've got to have internally about how it affects your own mental health and your decisions when it comes to deciding your entertainment and being able to differentiate the developers from the publishers and especially those in charge to the actual art itself and the game itself at what level's right and when is it taking it too far who are you punishing when you boycott a game there's so many different things to try and get your head around but we'll start off with i think like literally the face value what, what have you made of what's happened at ubisoft and what's coming out now part of me thinks and this is you know might be the wrong impression but part of me thinks oh god they're all like this you know uh, mm. so part of it is a very kind of depressing oh man everyone who's ever whoever gets into power is absolute scum and i think there's a you know there's a strain of truth in that especially in consumer capitalism because it does feel like unavoidable in a way and even the ones that you kind of held up and cherished in the past have got dodgy business practices on some levels so you can like, even looking at Valve who was supposed to be the modern day equivalent of like a hippie commune they're, they still come across this, I won't get into the details but there's practices there that you don't like and it ties in you know there's two things there like you said there's how you personally react and then what, what do you do about it if you know after that reaction and my initial response with Ubisoft is quite an easy one because I don't really tend to ha to buy their games because they they've never really interested me. So boycotting them is no problem whatsoever. Uh, on a more general level, if there's a company that I that I have issues with, it's often quite easy to say, "Well, I'll just buy their games secondhand because then they're not receive. I if I want to play that game, I can then play it and know that they're not receiving any revenue from it as long as I don't buy into any DLC. So, yeah, with Ubisoft, it was a bit of a surprise, a bit of a shock, and it's yeah. even more shocking to understand how protected they are when they have 
that level of income and that level of power, I think. Yeah, with, with Ubisoft, I mean, if this had come out of EA or Activision, I think people have gone, well, you know, it's EA or Activision. Uh, with Ubisoft, they've almost always been seen as, yes, they are a corporation, but the reaction is, oh, Ubisoft, what have you done now, kind of thing. You know, whenever they've made a, a, a corporate decision that, you know, all their games become the same, they've brought in microtransactions and things like that. So they've done all the same things, but it's always been with that tinge of, oh, Ubisoft, like they're the dumb one of the group who can get away with making silly little mistakes. But I think that obviously, clearly, they are a corporation and they are just as bad as any of the other major AAA publishers that are out there, where it's bottom line first and foremost and will hide and will try and hide anything that goes alongside it. What I will say is we're not going to speak about any specifics um, today because I don't want to risk getting into trouble via quoting the wrong people, saying the wrong things, or any anything that's potentially libelous um, with regards to this. So it will be a bit um, just more overview rather than any specifics. But yeah, it's with Ubisoft, it then brings up the, the thoughts of, you said you find them fairly easy to boycott, you're not really into their games. Um, and I think that's an interesting feature when it comes to boycotting. Like, for example, I mean, I've boycotted The Sun for what am I now, 38, two and a half decades, uh, when I actually realised fully what 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 involvement they had with Hillsborough. Um, and then, obviously, after that, knowing how much of a right-wing paper they are, you know, it supports my boycott even more so. But then you're looking at other things like Weatherspoons over the whole Brexit ordeal and everything, easy to boycott for me. I, I don't really drink much, don't go in there. And I decided, right, well, I'm not, going to use Mike Ashley Sports Direct anymore because he's treated people really unfairly and I don't agree with, with him, what he's done. But my partner said, we can't afford to go and buy our children, um, you know, a good Adidas coat or night coat or whatever they need for school at that good quality from a, a better sports shop because the prices are higher. So we are almost forced into using his shop and again, I know the argument then comes down to, well, don't buy them named brands. But as someone who was bullied throughout their lives at school, that's not an option. So it, it's kind of weird. It's um, And you're seeing that argument on social media now where people are not defending Ubisoft, but defending the games. And in doing so, they are still defending the the company. So where do you where do you honestly draw the line when it comes to what's acceptable to still get involved with as to what's not? Well, I think that people like in general people like to have a definitive line in the sand because it's much easier to draw a, a, a moral boundary and stick to that and just say that's part of my ethics. I'm ever going to deviate from them. It's easier to do that to, than to constantly question and redefine the boundaries of your ethics. But to answer your question, I think with this sort of thing, you do have to do that. And one of the reasons is the one that you mentioned. When, you, when you're in a society that depends on consumer capitalism, you can't just opt out of it. You can't just say, well, I'm not going to do that. You can't say, well, I'm not going to shop at supermarkets because they have dodgy practices because of their buyers. 
it's like, well, where would I get my food? I can't afford to just go to, you know, some local organic yeah. market and buy everything from there. So you've got to compromise. And it applies to lots of other things. It applies, like you said, to clothes to a certain degree. And when it comes to games, I think it's slightly easier because it's entertainment. And no, you know, you're not going to die if you don't play a certain game. At the same time, there's the whole thing of, well, why should a few at the top of that company ruin, you know, why should you with hold your money from the people in that company who make up 99% of it and who are good people and who are not abusing their position so that's really difficult one to draw the way that I tend to do it is go okay well if it's a person if I would be buying something from a person and they directly their lifestyle directly benefits from my money then I'm going to cut them out. So, great example, J.K. Rowling yeah. will never buy any of her stuff again. And even if she if she walks it back, what she's said on Twitter, I probably still wouldn't. I mean, I am willing to let people learn and change, um, but, you know, we'll see. But it's very easy to just cut somebody off if they're an individual. If you, yeah. like, you know, another great example, Morrissey would never buy anything of his again. It's more difficult when it's a company, but the way that I look at it is I have several tiers of belief. So it's kind of like, is that company mostly, you know, mostly run by and influenced by their top management? If it is, probably going to boycott. Is the top management a an influence, but not the only influence? Bit more of a grey area, I'll take it on a case by case. Is it that they're very hands-off and it's mostly the people on the ground Then I'm normally happy just chucking my money their way? Yeah. But all three of those tiers of thought are constantly shifting. And it's the only way I can stay sane. It's the only way that I can engage with the world is by constantly reviewing these things. Because I can't just say, yes, I'll accept everything, because that's just morally and ethically wrong. And I can't just say I'm not going to engage with anything because then I'm just cut off from everything that society produces. So, yeah, constantly have to question it. I give myself broad boundaries and then constantly question. Yeah, and it's, it's an interesting one, actually, because I think without shifting it away from Ubisoft too much, you've only got to look at Activision. And Bobby Kotick is, yeah, You've seen the memes out there. He, he is purely, he is the devil. It's all, he's the one that's introduced so many of the bad practices in video games, or at least made them popular. And he's done some horrid stuff, especially since they've joined with um, Blizzard and, and things like that. However, I enjoy a Call of Duty game. I, I, I'm not going to deny that. I really do enjoy a Call of Duty game. There's something just very relaxing about jumping into a quick death match and just shooting away for half an hour and, and leaving again. And I'm able to pretty much avoid a lot of the money, like the dodgy monetary stuff that goes on because I'm not very good at Call of Duty. I know I'm never really going to win. So for me, it's literally jumping in, shooting around a bit and leaving. So I'm able to go, well, look, the people who make it, like the actual developers, you can tell they've put a lot of heart and soul into this game. You know, regardless of whether you like the actual series or not, you can tell the developers care. And I, I like supporting the developers. Um, but you are right to a point where you go, 
But at what point do you stop that? You know, even if a developer comes out, comes out and says that we don't agree with what's been going on above us, we just want to make good games, and you know, it'd be great if you can still buy our game. How much of that is pressure from above to make them say that publicly? And if you do boycott, and it's a, like a studio within a within a corporation, you know, well, EA for example, a studio within EA, if a game bombs. EA will just shut them down. Um, so they will get punished. But to buy it, you're then also rewarding EA because they see most of the money. And it becomes very, very difficult for me to balance my own morals with it. I, I, I struggle. Um, and it's one of the reasons I, I think I initially started moving towards indie games more and more. Because generally, if there's a bad apple shall we say within a team there it's usually a small enough team where either they take direct action and they're out and that's great or they support that bad apple and it's in which case it's easy to boycott that game i actually think it's a lot harder to boycott a triple a game oh without a shadow of a doubt yeah 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 and i think that you know if we had collective bargaining if they had a proper union then this mm. would be almost null and void I mean it isn't in this case because it's the the individual actions of several people at the top being probably illegal I mean you know obviously like you say not going into details but based on what we've seen so far these are not it's not things that are working practices that encourage microtransactions or you know something that is within a legal boundary it's extra legal but even so if you have collective bargaining agreements and you know that your staff can legally walk out on you if you're doing something that's objectionable or illegal or damages their workers rights or their individual rights that's so much that gives you so much more power but we're, we're in a situation where we we don't have that in almost any field. I mean, it's fantastic that the teachers have got that power and they've retained that power because otherwise, God knows what would happen with kids going back to school right during the middle of, you know, COVID ep epidemic. Mm. And yeah, when you're making your individual choices as a consumer, it is, it's incredibly tough because you don't want to just get everybody shut down because it's their livelihood, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. When you talk about a collective bargaining agreement, within the AAA video game market, what you actually see in there is massive levels of suppression. The actual workers are terrified, absolutely terrified, of trying to speak out, of trying to create uni a union, because I think as soon as you are blackballed in that industry, that's your career over. And there's too many people there who they're not doing making video games for a job. They make video games because it's their passion. But at the same time, they're very aware that they can't just go indie because they start to oversaturate that market. So they can't make a livelihood out of it. And so they are stuck in their job and they are then stuck at potentially crappy companies. You know, they, they haven't got a literal gun to their head to make them do the things they've got to do. Um, and I'm moving away from the actual allegations, but when you look at crunch periods and stuff like that, it, it's a metaphorical gun to their head. They're not forced to do anything, but they know if they don't do what they've got to do to get this game out in a certain amount of time or whatever, 
good luck getting another job or continuing in this job because we need people who are on board. And you've seen people break down because of it. And that's not right. That's not right to see. And now on top of that, we're beginning to hear further about the sexual abuse that's going on. But again, just because certain people have committed the heinous crime of being born a woman. Um, and that makes them a target. And again, if they dare speak out, then they're blackballed. I mean, it's only now, I think it's gr not great to see, it's horrible to see, but in the way that you're seeing so many people come out and speak that it started a, a snowball effect, that this is the only way it can have an effect. And as terrible as it is, it's very heartwarming to see people now standing up for themselves. Absolutely. These things are happening. To have them exposed to the light can only be a good thing because it can only help reduce them happening in future. And I do think we've like reached a tipping point with that, and it's going to be far less prevalent. It's so prevalent, though, in, in certain areas of video gaming, because it's been so traditionally masculine. And you can imagine all of these men who have had, you know, who have been very ordinary people with very little power in their lives, just being given a lot of power in their sort of... 20s and 30s and then yeah. using that power in all the ways that an undeveloped and unmature boy would rather than a man so you know making inappropriate sexual advances and a complete lack of maturity wisdom yeah. and guidance and i think yeah it ha i mean it's the certain they they treat themselves like rock stars basically and with all the connotations that has you know and I think we're only just now as a society starting to see what rock stars did do to a lesser extent, but certainly did back in the heyday of rock and roll as a bad thing rather than a cool thing. And that, yeah, that whole shift is pushing onto that arena of sexual politics, which is good, which is a good thing. Yeah. And again, that's, that's a really great sort of like example there. It's like the rock stars of old and you'd hear about young girls going as like going backstage and the stories about what would happen backstage and then if any of them cried out to go look I, I, I was raped or someone took advantage of me you always got the argument of well you knew what you'd be getting into going backstage and it's again it's victim blaming that's going on there it's like well you should be aware what these people are well, no no you shouldn't as I say it goes back through I dare say hundreds of years where you blame the victim instead of the, the monster it, it's just ridiculous that it still happens and to go back I mean you go back to Jack the Ripper's day and everyone goes oh Jack the Ripper well, you know he was killing prostitutes if you actually look at the way any of that's reported these days who's the hero in the Jack the Ripper stories it's Jack yeah so it's the villain he's yeah. the hero he's celebrated the women he killed are they as prostitutes Oh, it's, it's a shame, but, you know, they were prostitutes. And it's like, why why are we celebrating a mass murderer? Their victims aren't celebrated. Their victims are just a byproduct of it. And it's the same now to bring it back to the video game industry or the, the film industry, music industry. We celebrate the, the monsters. We celebrate, like, uh, Bobby Kotick. He's a known name, but... We don't know who was doing, I don't know, the sound design 
on a particular part of one of the Call of Duty games, or we don't know who one of the artists was for the background levels of the of a Rayman game or anything like that. We, we don't know that because they're not the celebrated ones, so they don't have a voice. So when they are abused, whether it be via whether it's sexual abuse or whether it's working uh, like dodgy working practices. They haven't got a voice and they don't have the power to speak out against power, what is essentially powerful white men. And again, 2020 has been a dumpster fire of a year. It, it really has. But and here, I think here's the thing that I look, I, I cling on to in terms of my own mental health and positivity with it. It's been a dumpster fire of a year, but the movements we've had, whether it's Black Lives Matter whether it's um, people standing up against transphobia, whether it's celebrating our differences, whether it's now people speaking out against sexual misconduct even further. That is only a good thing because it does show now we are getting more and more people just going, look, no, we are not standing for this anymore. This cannot be what our lives are. We have to improve it, if not for ourselves, but for our future generations. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that it's um, the whole thing of the, the patriarchy. It, it does kind of almost feel like it is coming to an end. I mean, I talk about coming to an end in terms of you know decades rather than even years. Mm. But you feel that it's an end of an epoch in a, in a really good way because people are so much more attuned to it now and people have much more of a voice as individuals. And hopefully that will just spread and spread and spread and become become the norm that anyone can have power based on merit. Uh, so yeah, no, that's that's really really a hopeful thing. Even though this is the worst worst yeah. year that we've ever lived through, anyone who's alive now. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, it's going to be an ongoing conversation. Um, I say the, the Ubisoft stuff, but it's definitely opening up a wider um, conversation. Um, and what I want to bring it round to is like you've seen a lot of like AAA publishers having them their names dragged through the mud, rightly so for many of them. Uh, but what's interesting now is going to be seeing what happens with the likes of Devolver Digital, uh, P Cube Games, Raw Fury, Team Seventeen, um, publishers like that, uh, because they've moved up. A couple of levels already. They've gone from being absolute indie, one hundred percent, to I would say they're still allowing indie devs to do what they want. But they're now the mid-tier publishers, and if the AAA publishers are taken down, either by their own greed or the fact that people are realizing what they're actually like, these are going to be the publishers now that move up. Now, I've had dealings with people within Raw Fury and Devolver Digital and Team 17. And as it stands, they all so far seem genuinely decent people. And no, there's no nothing coming out about them or anything like that. Chances, you know, never know. Something may come out. But as it stands, they seem like decent companies. Still obviously out to make money because, you know, that's the I, I, I've never had an issue with companies trying to make money because that's what they do. And my discussion about the constraints of money are a totally different thing. Anyway, what they do when they take over, if the continue, if the trend continues in terms of their trajectory up to being bigger and better publishers and the AAAs killing themselves in, from inside, will be interesting. Do they then become greedy 
corporate shells or can they learn from the mistakes of the past and continue this look we are we are we know we're made up of a bunch of individuals that make us a good team and we need that and we will treat everyone fairly uh, and that's what i'm interested to see now because it would be i think for me it'd be devastating to hear that someone like devolver digital who are very self-aware became the very thing they parody a lot of the times so that, that that's definitely yeah. going to be interesting to see yes yeah absolutely because it's that thing of you know power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely yeah so unfortunately some of the ones that we venerate at the moment once they get the power they will they will unfortunately turn that way we just have to hope that the majority don't and i think that one of the things that will help with that is diversity yeah. because the the wider the spread of opinions and behaviors and genders and social backgrounds of people you bring in the less likelihood they are to form a sort of negative alliance if that's the right kind yeah no of word. I, I get it yeah cuz uh, you know a lot of a lot of misbehavior comes from bad upbringing and having your worst most negative traits validated and currently cuz white men hold most of the power there's a lot of bad traits to be validated there yeah. so the more it's spread around the less chance that has of happening so fingers crossed it can only get better. Yeah, and regardless of what some right-wing nutters think, we're not going to suddenly be ruled by black, transvestite, disabled women only. Um, that's not the end goal. I literally saw that in a tweet somewhere that someone went, "That's all. We're, that's you know, that's going to be the people in power, and then the white people are going to be the the oppressed ones." It's, it is, that's never going to happen ludicrous yeah ludicrous yeah but yeah it's yeah that's the, that's the world at the moment but yeah that's been our show if you want to support us again you can get us on coffee or patreon um, you can join us on our discord via our twitter all kinds of things like that we're trying a few different things with videos uh while we still low subscriber numbers on youtube um and we can experiment i've just recently put up a video of me and my daughter discussing the itio bundle for racial equality um, and justice so that's up there if you want to listen to that she's three and she just gives her opinion on what the games might be and if she'd like them or not um, it was fun and if it gets people if people like it I might do some more but yeah there's plenty obviously the podcast if you listen to this they know they're about we've got a couple of specials um, one talking about discourse around The Last of Us part two and another two-parter about women in video games you can check that as well as the various reviews and things on the site but thank you for listening and until next week stay safe